Well, good morning, everyone. Today I'm coming to you from our South Campus Sanctuary, and uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. And to be honest, most Christians don't really know what this day truly celebrates. Um, there are two things the day of Pentecost celebrates, and uh, I want to talk about those two things today because they are as significant today, in my opinion, as they were 2,000 years ago. And so the first thing that this day signifies is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost Sunday is about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, in his last words before ascending to heaven in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, here's what Jesus said. He said, and now I will send you the Holy Spirit, just as my Father had promised. But stay here in the city and wait until the Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now it's really important for us today to understand why did Jesus tell them to wait? Well, here's the answer. Because they couldn't transform the Roman Empire with words alone. They needed a baptism of power. In recent decades, the church has relied on proclamation without demonstration. But yet Jesus understood something. He understood that proclamation alone wasn't going to be good enough to transform the empire. So if you have your Bible, I want you to grab it. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1. Acts, chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to read this together. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. When suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was what? Filled with the Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages or other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Wow. So get this. After Jesus ascended to heaven... 120 people had gathered in the upper room. It's the same upper room where Jesus observed the Last Supper with the Twelve. And in that room, they prayed and they waited for the Spirit to come and to fill them with power. What's interesting is that just the other day, there was a new survey that was released by the Barna Group. And here's what they found. That during this coronavirus crisis that believers and churches are praying more than ever. Now, that means something. It means that the church is waiting and the church is praying, just like the 120 in the upper room. Now, let me give you some more information. There are 50 days between the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost Sunday. So, after Jesus rose from the grave, after he Stayed around, he stayed around for 40 days, and then after 40 days, he ascended. Which means that the disciples prayed and waited in the upper room after he gave them the command we just read about for 10 days. And then on the 10th day, what we just read is what happened. The Holy Spirit came. There was an outpouring, all right? And on that day, the people who were in the upper room receive the power to do what? To demonstrate that the message of Jesus actually works. 
that Jesus' message will actually change lives. That's why it was important for them to wait until that power came. Because that power gave them the ability to demonstrate the gospel. And it was that supernatural demonstration of the power of God that led to the second thing that we celebrate on the day of Pentecost, which is the birth of the church. The birth of the church. So now let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation, and they were living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. Obviously, something big was going on. And they were bewildered because they began to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. And they said, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. And then they stood there and they were amazed and perplexed. And they said, what can this mean? And they asked each other, but others in the crowd began to ridicule those that had come out of the upper room saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. That's way too early for that stuff. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Notice the language again. I will pour out my spirit on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, clouds of smoke. And the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then if you skip down to verse 41... It says, and those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Wow, that's amazing. 53 days ago, there was a historic Passover in our world. In fact, not since the days of the Jewish exodus from Egypt has a Passover been celebrated like the one that we just observed. And in the same way, I believe that today is going to be a historic Pentecost Sunday. I believe this. I believe that God is sending. God is sending a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit. Why? For the rebirthing of his church. Isn't it interesting that the church has been thrust into a time of waiting for the last 75 days or more, depending on where you live? Church life, as we have known it, has come to an absolute standstill. And the question we have to ask is this, what is Jesus up to? Because we've heard a lot about this being a time for us personally to pause and reset 
and reflect on our lives and reflect on our way of living and reflect on our relationship with God. And all of that is true. But this is more than about us. This time is about hearing about what God wants to do through his church in these last days. You see, none of us would deny today that the world needs change, the world needs transformation. But that's not going to happen until the church is first revived and transformed. That's why there needs to be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There needs to be an outpouring in our churches that leads to a rebirth of the church. Friends, what we need right now is we need a third Pentecost. A third Pentecost. You say, what's a third Pentecost? Why do you call it that? Well, the first Pentecost we just read about. It occurred in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. The second Pentecost began on January 1st, 1901, when a woman by the name of Agnes Osmond, who was a student at Charles Parham's Bethel Bible School in Topeka, Kansas, was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. What happened in Topeka, Kansas, eventually made its way all the way out to Los Angeles, California, to something that most of you are familiar with, the Azusa Street Revival. It began in 1906 with Pastor William Seymour. The Azusa Street Revival was the greatest outpouring of the Spirit since the day of Pentecost, which is why it's referred to by most theologians as the second Pentecost. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about this incredible Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival is actually what birthed the modern Pentecostal movement of which you are a part. It spawned a wave of missions around the world that has been unparalleled since that day. Because of Azusa Street, get this, 600 million people came to Christ. How did they come to Christ? It was accompanied by a demonstration of signs and wonders everywhere the believers that left Azusa Street went. Then in 1913, the revival moved from Azusa Street in Los Angeles to the Stone Church in Chicago, where Mariah Woodworth Etter was holding meetings. And as she began her meetings, word quickly spread throughout Chicago that miraculous things were happening. There were miraculous healings and deliverances and conversions and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people came on trolleys, on buggies, on trains, and they walked just to get to those meetings in 1913. In fact, people came from as far away as 1,600 miles just to be in a meeting. There were 12 to 1,500 people every night that packed into that little stone church. The basement was full to overflowing. People were standing on the streets outside of the church where street meetings would begin to accommodate them. And here's what's interesting. In the year 1913, both Mariah Woodworth Etter and William Seymour separately gave prophecies that in a little over 100 years, there would be another revival. A revival would begin and the glory of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would be greater than Azusa Street. 
and it would be more far, it would be far more reaching than Azusa Street. So here's my question today. Is God using COVID-19 as the setup or the catalyst for the revival that they prophesied about? Here's what we know for sure. I can tell you that on the other side of COVID-19, church is not going to be and it's not going to look the same. Why? Because our world is not the same. Every day I receive emails from expert opinion theologians and church growth experts telling me what the church is going to look like and how it's going to have to operate post-COVID-19. But here's my question. Has anyone consulted the Holy Spirit? I don't know. You see, in my mind, the Holy Spirit had a pretty good game plan for transforming the Roman Empire the first time around. And it began with what? An outpouring of the Holy Spirit on who? Believers. Believers. Why do I keep emphasizing the word the outpouring was on believers? Because our concept of revival, it's wrong. It's wrong. You see, revival is not, and it has never been for sinners. Revival is for believers. Why? Because revivals are needed to resurrect something that was once alive, but it has died. That's the church, gang. That's the American church. It was once alive, but now it's dead. You see, what revival does is it empowers the believers to once again be resurrected and walk in a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people know that Jesus is alive. Joseph Kemp said this, revival is the resurrecting or the reanimating of that which is living but has been in a state of decline. It has to do with the church as a whole and with Christians as individuals being revived. G. Campbell Morgan said this, revival is reviving and awakening believers to the sense of God through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my definition of revival. Revival is the rediscovery or the resurrection of the word of God and the reality of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers attested to by powerful manifestations of God. You see, the collateral effect of revival is this. When the church experiences a resurrection, the unchurched here and they see the gospel. They see the demonstration of the gospel. And then here's what happens. They get saved. They come to Christ. Because when we believers are revived, when we are resurrected, it radically changes us. We come to a place of total surrender where there is a new awareness of sin. There is a new awareness to forsake and be separate from the world. We stop being selfish. We stop wanting our own way. And we make God's ways the priority in our lives. We start spending time with and serving Jesus. And that becomes the focus of our lives instead of our own pursuits. And here's what happens. When these things begin to occur in people's lives, the power of God gets unleashed and miracles start happening. 
And when miracles start happening, people start getting saved. The church in Acts grew on a daily basis. Why? I believe it's because they were flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit that they had received on the day of Pentecost, which resulted in a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that non-believers in the Roman Empire could visually witness. Here's the problem. The church has lacked demonstration because we put the Holy Spirit on the back burner. Why? In order to be socially acceptable and palatable. But can I tell you something? Church without power doesn't work. Oh, it may look like it's working because huge sanctuaries are filled with people. But I'm telling you something. Lives aren't being transformed. There, there's a little story that illustrates what I'm talking about. One Sunday, a pastor observed a little girl who was standing in the lobby of his church. And she was just standing there very patiently waiting for her parents to finish a conversation so that they could go out to Sunday lunch, much like happens every week on our campuses at Life Church. And the pastor noticed that she had a storybook under her arm. And the title of it captured his attention. It was Jonah and the Whale. So he walked over to her and he knelt beside her and he said, what's that that you have in your hand? And she said, well, this is my storybook about Jonah and the Whale. And, and, and he, he said to her, he said, could I ask you something about that story? He said, do you really believe that story about Jonah and the whale? And the girl said, of course I believe it. And the pastor began to press further. And he said, come on, you really believe that a man could be swallowed up by a big fish, stay inside of him all that time, and come out okay? And the little girl looked him dead straight in the eyes and said, absolutely, it's in the Bible. And then the pastor asked her one more question. He said, can you prove to me that story is true? Well, she had to think about that. And she thought for a moment and she said, well, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll just have to ask Jonah. By now, the pastor was getting very frustrated with this little girl. And he said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? She thought for a moment, and she scratched her head, and finally she put her hands on her hips, as only a little girl could do, and then she looked the pastor straight in the eye and said, then I guess you'll have to ask him. How is it that the church has gotten to the point where we no longer believe in the supernatural? See, God wants to send a fresh outpouring of his spirit today. That's why we're gathering in our North Campus tonight at 6 o'clock for a special Pentecost Sunday encounter service. We are seeking a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are welcoming a third Pentecost here at Life Church because we need it in our church, we need it in our region, we need it in our nation. And I believe that God wants to send an outpouring that will launch the rebirth of his church so that we can once again be able to walk in a demonstration of signs and wonders. So then how can we cooperate with God to bring about the manifestation of the rebirth of his church? Let's talk about that today. Two things. First of all, by understanding what God has called 
the church to do and be. By understanding what God has called the church to do. You know, at the beginning of every football season up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi would start training camp by gathering all of his players around him and he would say these words. They're legendary. Gentlemen, this is a football. Duh, right? What was he doing? Why would he start every camp like that? Because he realized that it's all about the basics. Winning is about the basics. And I think that one of the reasons that the church lacks power today is because we've forgotten the basics. We forgot the Holy Spirit. We are not doing ministry the way that Jesus did ministry. So how did Jesus do ministry? He clearly states what his and our calling is in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Let's take a look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to do what? To bring good news, to proclaim good news, to preach the good news, whatever word you want to put there, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Those are all action words, right? Those are all manifestations. Those are all demonstrations. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Wherever Jesus went, he did two things. Here they are. The first thing that he did was proclamation. He was called to preach the good news of the kingdom to people. So everywhere that Jesus went, there was a proclamation. And then the second thing that Jesus did everywhere he went was demonstration. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 tells us this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating God's healing power over every sickness and every disease. Proclamation, demonstration. So here's the thing. Proclamation plus demonstration is the key to effective ministry to the unchurched. Demonstration. Why is it important? Because demonstration is what validated or gave credibility to Jesus' proclamation of good news. Whether Jesus was preaching it or later on the disciples were preaching it or today we're preaching it. Now, now you might say, yeah, but that was Jesus or that was the disciples and I'm not Jesus and I'm not one of the disciples. I'm not like those guys. That's true. But look at what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And Jesus gave them, that's you, authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. Did you know you had that power and authority? Jesus treats you no differently than he did the original 12 disciples. He has given you power and authority. And then look at what John 14, 12 says. It says, anyone who believes in me, Jesus speaking, will do the same works that I have done. And even greater, he says, because I am going to the Father. So what do those verses mean practically? It means that Jesus is calling the church, his church, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not being afraid, not being timid to pray for people, but to go ahead and pray for people and give the Holy Spirit 
an opportunity to demonstrate his power to unbelievers. You see, our calling as the church is to demonstrate the power of the gospel in our lives by being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. In fact, we might say it this way. Living out what we believe is what gets people's attention, not just saying that we believe it. For too long, people in our region, people in our nation, people in our world have heard Christians talk a good game, but now it's time for a demonstration. Most of the church doesn't understand their calling. That's why we have powerless churches. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, You, and I'm speaking to every one of you that is watching today, you will receive power. Have you received power? See, here's the problem. Even if you've received power, power is meaningless unless what? You do something with it. Power is meaningless unless you do something with it. And so God's call was not simply for the church to receive power, to be takers, but for the church to be givers, to use that power to demonstrate that the gospel works. And so it's vitally important that churches understand, that we, the church, understand our calling. What is our calling? To proclaim and to demonstrate. Now, the second way that we can cooperate with God in the rebirth of the church is by responding to what God has called the church to do. First, we have to understand what God has called the church to do, and then we have to respond to what God is calling us to do. So what will it take for us to demonstrate the gospel? Let me offer four things that I believe that we need to start doing immediately if we're going to see this dream manifest of the rebirth of the church in power and in might. Number one is this. We need to change our way of thinking. We need to change our way of thinking. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, if we're honest, most of us don't see ourselves doing what Jesus did or what the disciples did. And in fact, some of us don't even see ourselves doing what some of the other super saints in the church do. We, we don't see ourselves out there praying for the sick. We don't see ourselves setting the captive free as a part of our normal routine because that's left for special services and conferences and revival meetings. Why do we think that way? Because by and large, the church as a whole has failed to embrace the supernatural. During the Enlightenment, the church chose to embrace the Western rational mindset that has taught us to ignore the spiritual realm. Because here's what the Enlightenment taught us. That if you can't see it, if you can't hear it, if you can't taste it, if you can't touch it, it doesn't exist. Well, guess what? You, you can't do any of those things with the supernatural. Therefore, by definition of the Enlightenment, the supernatural doesn't exist. And so the Western church has unconsciously bought this lie which has robbed it of its power to demonstrate the gospel message. So we have to start by changing our thinking in this area. We have to actually believe that God wants to and that God will work through us. Can I say this to you today? God is not looking for super saints. God wants to use you in the rebirth of the church. 
In fact, God's not going to use superstars in the coming revival. He is looking for ordinary believers who understand their calling and are willing to step out in faith. I believe that the great awakening, the great revival that is coming is going to be different than any other revival in history. I believe it's going to be a revival at the grassroots level. I believe there won't be any superstars. There won't be big names preaching on platforms. But God is going to move through average, ordinary people like you and me as we're at our workplaces, as we're in the supermarket, as we're in the, uh, the ball fields and, and wherever we go in restaurants. And the power of God is going to flow through us as we obey the Holy Spirit who says, hey, go over and pray for that person. We do it and they get healed and they get saved right there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. Peter says, for you are a royal priesthood and you are called to proclaim and usher in the presence and the power of God on this earth. Did you realize you are a royal priesthood? We are a nation of priests. Life Church, we are priests, and our responsibility is to usher the presence and the power of God into our region, into our towns, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces. The second thing that needs to happen is we need to immerse ourselves in the Holy Spirit. It was as the believers in Acts were immersed, baptized in the Spirit, that power came upon them to be mighty witnesses. Now, the problem with today's church can be summed up in this poem by Wilbur Reese. And I love this poem. It goes like this. I'd like to buy $5 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant because I want comfort, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal and a paper sack. I'd like to buy just $5 worth of God, please. Can I tell you something today? $5 worth of God or the Holy Spirit won't cut it. The Bible says that we can have as much of the Holy Spirit as we want. But the problem is we don't want too much of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we want to be respectable. We want to be comfortable. And so I challenge you today, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to immerse you in his power. Because when you go for it with God, when you allow yourself to be filled to overflowing, things will happen when you pray. I guarantee it. The third thing that we need to do is we need to pray for fresh anointing. Fresh anointing. I love what Paul told the people of Ephesus in Ephesians 6.19. He says, pray that whenever I open my mouth, there will be a boldness, there will be an anointing to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, Paul and Silas prayed that God would anoint them to proclaim and to demonstrate his word with boldness and power. Friends, without the anointing, life and ministry is difficult. In fact, it's more than difficult. It's like pounding rocks. 
It's like trying to use a handsaw to build a house. We all know that it's much easier to build a house with power tools, right? And so today, pray for a fresh anointing on your life and on your ministry. And then the fourth thing that we need to do is this. We need to say yes to God. Yes to God. I think for too long, our Christian response to God has been something like this. When he asks us to do something, we say, well, God, you know, okay, let me pray about it, God. Or, or I don't know if I really want to do that, God. Seriously? The God of the universe is asking you to do something for him, and we're going to hem and haw about it? I don't think so. In this new era that we are entering, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and allow God to use us to proclaim and to demonstrate the gospel. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to overcome your fears. We've all got fears. The bottom line is this. In this new era of rebirth, the church of Jesus Christ has to respond to the call of God and we have to demonstrate the gospel. And this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Is my life demonstrating the presence and power of the kingdom to people that are far from God? Is my life demonstrating the presence and the power of God? And if it's not, then we need to ask ourselves a tough question. Why not? Why not? Is it because I don't really believe that God would use me in such a way? Many of us believe that line. The devil have, has us convinced that God could never use me. Is it because we haven't spent enough time surrendering to God or immersing ourselves in the Spirit? Is it simply because we're still living off of last year's conference anointing? Or is it because I've been afraid to say yes to God and move outside of my comfort zone? The key to the rebirth of the church is doing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Proclaimed and demonstrated. Everywhere he went, he was proclaiming and he was demonstrating. So I want to finish this message by telling you what happens when, as the church, we begin to understand our calling and we respond to God. Here it is. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Wow. Results. Fruit. History tells us this, that by A.D. 300, the message of Jesus, attested by signs and wonders, had spread throughout the whole Roman Empire. What that really means is it spread throughout the world because that's all there was, was the Roman Empire, pretty much. And get this, by 300 A.D., instead of the church being persecuted, the church, Christianity became the religion of Rome. You want to talk about a turnaround? You want to talk about a transformation? So the question is, during this time of COVID crisis, during this time of isolation and everything stopping, right? What is God doing? I'm going to say it to you plain and simple. I believe that God is restoring his church to what he called her to be long, long ago. And what is that? A people of proclamation 
and a people of demonstration. I have one question to ask you today. Are you ready to be the church again? As we begin to come out of this COVID crisis, are you ready to proclaim and are you ready to demonstrate? Well, if you're ready to do that, then there's a step in between. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're gathering tonight to set our faces before God, to cry out to him and say, God, we can't go without your presence. We can't see our region, and that's what we're responsible for, our region. We can't see it changed. We can't see it transformed unless the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, unless we have a fresh infilling of the Spirit, unless you begin to move, unless you revive, unless you resurrect us. And we're not only praying for Life Church tonight, but we're praying for all the churches in our region that there will be a resurrection that occurs, that during this time that the church will awaken and will arise and will begin to proclaim and will begin to demonstrate. So will you join me? Whether you come to the sanctuary or whether you watch on our live stream tonight, it does not matter. The key is that we're all praying, we're all seeking God. Even though we have the sanctuary open tonight, I want you to know that many of you, 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 it's not wise for you to come because you have pre-existing conditions. And there are many of you that feel uncomfortable coming. And we are so totally cool with that. We are opening the sanctuary for those that would like to come. But you know what? There, there is nothing wrong with staying at home. There is nothing wrong with watching it line. I want to be very clear about that. We understand, and we're going to accommodate everybody. All I'm saying is, be with us tonight somehow. Whether that's on your phone, your iPad, watching on your TV, being in person, whatever it is, we have got to call heaven down to earth. This is a historic day. God wants to send a third Pentecost. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it because I'm tired of playing church. I want to be the church. And so, Lord Jesus... Today, I pray that you would just begin to lay hold of the hearts of every man, woman, teenager, and child that is watching this message. Lord, let there be a burning within our heart right now. Lord, let something supernatural begin to happen across these airwaves right now, wherever people are watching. God, I pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit would fall right now on people. Lord, this is the day of Pentecost. We don't have to wait until 6 o'clock tonight to be filled. Lord, right now, I pray that people would be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray that people that are watching this broadcast that have never spoken in tongues, that have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, that right now they would begin to speak in tongues in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fall upon them. Fall upon them, God. Fall upon our people. Renew us, revive us, refresh us, oh God. We need you. We need you. And right now, I just want to ask you that are watching, are you hungry? Are you hungry for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in your life and our region? Say yes to God this morning. Respond to his call to the church to proclaim and demonstrate. And so I'm praying right now. And I want you to join me in praying for the rebirth of the church. The rebirth of the church. The church nationwide has gotten off course, way off course. Let's pray for an outpouring. Let's 
Let's pray for a new church to come out on the other side of COVID-19. Let's agree in our spirits that we're going to stop settling for $5 worth of God. And so right now, tell God, I want more. Lord, as the pastor of this church, as the senior leader, I just declare to you, we want more. God, we are not satisfied with $5 worth of you. We are not satisfied with comfortable living. We want to make a difference, God. And so we're asking you to come. We're asking you to fulfill the prophetic words over this house. We're asking you to send your glory, God, so that there's a visible manifestation of it on top of the canopy of our church, as was prophesied. We're asking, God, that we will be a hub from which the Holy Spirit just flows, where rivers of living water are pouring out of our congregation, God. And those rivers of living water are bringing refreshment to thousands. God, use us. We humbly ask you today to show up. Show up in power and in great might. Lord, it won't be because of a man. It won't be because of a woman. It'll be because you sovereignly decided that there is a people called Life Church that are hungry for you and are welcoming your presence, welcoming your habitation, welcoming your spirit. And so, Lord, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. That's our cry. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into every home right now, Lord. I just pray that you begin doing things. If you need healing right now and you're at home, just reach out your hands to whatever screen you're watching on. And Lord, I pray for healing to be released in the name of Jesus right now. I pray for backs that are being healed, people with back problems right now being healed. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let your healing virtue go out across these airwaves. And Lord, where people need to be healed, we come against cancer that has invaded people's bodies. And we declare healing in the name of Jesus because you are Lord over cancer. And Lord, you said you have given us power and authority over every sickness and disease. You did not exclude cancer. And so Jesus, we thank you right now that you're healing people with cancer right now. People with stage four cancer, it's being healed. It's going into remission. It's being removed from their body right now. Lord, let healing come to people that need healing right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, people that are suffering from depression and discouragement, I pray that you would minister to them right now. I pray that you would break the power of depression and discouragement. Break it right now. Lord, let a joy, let an unbridled joy just begin to flood into their hearts, into their minds, into their spirits. Lord, I just thank you that you are doing things right now. You are doing things right now at the end of this message. You are doing things in people's homes. Lord, I pray that you would heal marriages right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for wayward children, prodigal children, to come home in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you for signs and wonders. We ask you for the manifestation of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to just proclaim your gospel. We want to demonstrate it, and we want to see signs and wonders. So, Lord Jesus, we ask you, make it so right now in your mighty name. In your mighty name. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in today and watching this message again. If you are able, if you feel comfortable, join us tonight for our encounter service to just pray for an outpouring of the Spirit, a rebirth of the church, and that a great awakening, a great revival will sweep across the United States.
And friends, I just pray that it begins here with us. It was prophesied by Chuck Pierce two years ago that a great wind was going to blow in Illinois. How many of you know we need a wind? We need something to blow in Illinois other than the breath of politicians. And he said there was a great wind that was going to blow and it was going to start in the northwest. Guess what? Last time I checked my map, Life Church is in the northwest corner of Illinois. Hallelujah. And so let's come together tonight, either at the church or in your home, and let's pray. Say, God, start it. Start it on this day of Pentecost. God bless all of you. I'm praying for you. I miss you. And we are going to be together very soon. And you'll be hearing more about that in the coming week or so. God bless you. Have a great day.